some of the information mentioned in this episode has been affected by the current coronavirus situation. Check the websites referenced in this episode for the most current listing of the events, activities, or dates that are most current and relevant. You're listening to the Neighbors and Nations podcast. Welcome to the inaugural edition of the podcast, Neighbors and Nations. I'm really glad you've joined us. My name is Todd Stiles, and thankful you're listening in today. In this first episode, it's my goal to kind of provide for you a genesis of what's in my heart and and why the effort to bring this to you. The purpose of this podcast is simply to help stir within people a, a deeper awareness of and commitment to missions through both local and global stories. I think you'll hear that through all of our episodes and seasons. On this first episode, I take some time to sit down with my son, Brett, and just kind of explain and talk through uh, why the podcast in the first place and share some things about my past and uh, how God has stirred this within my heart. Because I hope this will lay groundwork not only for the genesis of the podcast, but also for uh, why the stories that are to come in every episode. And I hope it will serve you well and minister to you as together we aim for God's heart for both neighbors and nations. Welcome to the podcast today. Glad you've joined us. Uh, Normally, I'm here as the interviewer, and our guest is in the chair on the couch, and uh, they're helping us understand more about Neighbors and Nations and answering my questions. But today, we're going to have a little role reversal. The person who knows me best, other than my wife, would probably be the guy interviewing me today, and that's my son, Brett. And so we're going to flip-flop this. Can we do that, Brett? Yep, yep. And um, this will serve probably multiple purposes, but one will be to kind of let me share with our audience maybe why the podcast is being birthed, what's behind it. I think there's stories to that, but yeah, I'll just let you dig in there. And uh, so here's the uh, silver mic, we'll call it. All right, thanks. <laughs> Obviously, I know this, but for someone who's listening and they don't know you or me from Adam. Give us the cliff notes, catch us up a little bit on how you got to be here. Sure. In ministry, lead pastor of First Family Church with such a big heart for uh, seeing the gospel get to uh, not just unreached people, but all people. Yeah. I think uh, you've only known me as your dad and then as a pastor. That's the only way you've ever known me. But a lot of folks out there, my name means nothing. They don't know me. And and we're in a small town in Iowa, Ankeny, Iowa, a uh, pastor church here called First Family Church, just, a, you know, several hundred people, not anything large. Um, so just kind of a normal, I would even say a small town pastor of what I would say is a small church. Some would disagree with that based on their perspective, but uh, I've been pastoring for, in some form or fashion for over 30 years. I started as a youth pastor at 20. I grew up in a very fervent, zealous, evangelistic environment as a kid. And it really affected me in a good way. I went to a college and seminary where those were primary values. And so for 30 years in pastoring missions, both local and global, it was just always a non-negotiable. In fact, I remember one story when it wasn't this church, but cutting the budget was up for debate. We were, uh, and I don't think I wasn't pastoring, but I remember just being on staff and just speaking up and saying, well, the last thing we can cut is missions. And I don't even know why I said that, 
I wasn't really in charge of the budget. I wasn't even one of the lead pastors. But for some reason, something just kind of came out of me like, well, you can't mess with missions. And I don't even know if maybe maybe sometimes you should. <laughs> maybe you can. But I think it's moments like that um, that have led me in these 30 years to lead our church even now to just embracing what I what we know is the Great Commission. I mean, it is our—we say this a lot of times— his last words are our first concern. And so uh, I'm, I'm just deeply committed to making sure that, that our people are mobilized for that, both locally, which would be the neighbors, and nations, which would be unreached groups or groups with the least access, whatever wording you want to use there. So I'm no missions expert, but I do feel like it's been a consistent passion of my heart. And I would probably be very content one day if I ever were to step away from this role as lead pastor or regular preaching. I can find myself very content just focused on missions in a local church as a volunteer. Yeah. That's no hint to the church here, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so a podcast and missions, one is like all about going and doing and action, and a podcast is very passive, you know? People are listening, they're receiving. As those two things intersect, what do you see as um, the goal for someone who hears this content? Yeah. So belief always precedes behavior. And if I could in just some way affect what someone actually thinks about what they're to do, and I consider that a win. And so I think in this podcast, what I'm aiming to do is stir the heart for outreach. Um, you know, Jonathan Edwards used the word affections a lot. And that's obviously what the Holy Spirit affects. But I refer to affections after reading you know, a good bit about it and him and just other people. It's not just why we do what we do. But we say at our church a lot of times, it's why we want to do what we do. And affections is this deep change where suddenly you find different appetites, you find different longings. And if somewhere in this podcast, someone would have their want to affected, to where their eyes would get uh, off of themselves to some degree or to a lesser degree and onto those around them who don't know Christ, man, that, that'd be an honor to be a part of that equation in their life. Even if we're never known, if it just happens and then there's less people in hell, man, that... that that's an honor to be a part of that. So that's that's probably why and what I want on this podcast, to yeah. stir someone's heart towards outreach, whether yeah. it's pastors, members. Um, so we're going to tell a lot of stories. We're going to interview some folks that are considered Christianly famous. <laughs> when are those interview folks you maybe never heard of? But man, there's stories about people that hopefully will stir our hearts. Yeah. So are we just going to hear from, quote unquote, missionaries mm. on this podcast? No. Um, you'll hear from citizens, pastors, um, church members who have jobs in the corporate sector, as well as moms. Yeah, there's men, women of all types and of all occupations. And I think we'll do this in seasons. So we'll run a spell, take a break, run season two, take a break. So I wouldn't say that what you see in every season is how every other season will go. We'll just mix it up a good bit. But all kinds of people from all walks of life who have a heart for reaching people for Christ. Yeah. Missions has maybe classically been miscategorized as a job mm. when it's more a purpose. And I would even say missions, I have a much more narrow view of that word. Uh, I see missions as that task that crosses a language barrier. Otherwise, I consider it outreach. But I think both matter. And I think sometimes we spend too much time arguing about, is it missions or is it not? Why don't we just say, hey, people need Jesus. And I know their language, so I've got a lot easier road to get to them. They need Jesus, and I don't know their language, so it's going to take a lot longer. But, man, both are important. And I don't want to argue 
what the terms are. So if someone says everything's missions, nah, I, may, I may not agree with that, but I get their heart. Yeah. I'd rather say, yeah, there's missions, there's outreach. And you're right. Some people are called missionaries because they do it and they have support they've raised. There's nothing wrong with that. But the truth is the guy who gets his income from principal or Wells Fargo or, you know, Bank of the West or Quick Trip, he may just as well be a quote unquote missionary when he's at work in lots of ways. Yeah. From when you were a kid in that mm. church that was so fervent for missions to where you are now in this church that I would say is equally fervent for missions, but I'm sure they look a lot different. It does. What is that journey like to say, okay, how can we keep fervency, but be willing to let methodologies come and go, um, mm. rise and fall? Uh, how do you? How have you balanced that commitment to the mission, for lack of better uh, yeah. terms, Actually, but like yet that. not be um, stuck into like, well, this is the way that it has to be done. Yeah. And let's just push pause and say that you just hit on something really important. Because in missiology, there really is one mission. There may be many missions, referring to what you said, methodology, but we've been left one mission. And I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, and maybe we could say that sometimes methodologies can coexist from my personal perspective. And I'm no expert in missions, but what I've seen happen in, as a pastor is it seemed to earlier have been about supporting lots of missionaries at less money with the good intention to get the gospel to more people. There's nothing wrong with that. It seems like in my 30 plus years of ministry, it's more towards more money to less people. I mean, or off air, we talked about how one seemed like sponsorship, you said, and one seemed like partnership. That's probably a really good way to put it. I don't think that the sponsors meant anything evil by it or they weren't trying to be relational. It was just in a time in which maybe bigger seemed better. Churches, it was the day of the large church, get as big as you can. And even us here, we've adopted more of a, let's invest heavily in a few. But here's a, a strikingly honest thing. What I consider a few, someone else could consider a lot. And this is where I've had to really grow. So growing up in a church with over 400 sponsorships or partners, whatever you want to call them, missionaries, not very much money to each one, but um, we'd bring them in every year for a big missions conference. We'd have over 10,000 people in our church. And missions was a big thing. And I thought that was good. So when I, at First Family here, we, we heavily invest in 12 partners that we know. We visit them on the field. We, uh, we're aware of them. We have teams that communicate with them. I think, man, we've, we've really narrowed this down, right? But we may have, let's say, his name's Joe. He comes from a church in a small town, Iowa, and they had three partners. So he thinks we've got a lot. <laughs> so I think that's why you've got to be able to let your methodology just really be fluid to some degree and not, not try to argue about numbers in that way. The bigger view is I think it has moved from lots of partners with little money to perhaps fewer partners with more investment. Yeah. And I like the way you put it. You feel like fewer partners with more investment actually sends a signal to you that that's an actual partnership. Yeah. That's how, I mean, from my perspective, obviously you have 30 years in ministry. I only have 30 years of life, but from my perspective, that's how it seems. It seems more personal, but I think what you just said is probably a, a good small window into what, you know, someone might hear on this podcast is, the desire that the mission be elevated over the method. And so mm -hmm. people might be on here, they might have different methodologies. 
They might, you know, come from different backgrounds of how they do quote unquote missions, but yet every person who is going to sit in front of this microphone is all focused on that one mission. Making disciples of all nations. Yeah. And I think that whole phrase matters because it's, you know, without distinction, whosoever will, every language, nation, tribe, and tongue. And so it's not just making disciples. It's actually making disciples of all nations. You're not technically a missionary. In <laughs> That's the, true. You're right. Um, historical sense of the word. Um, but you are very concerned with outreach. Mm-hmm. My question for you, since we are doing a, a role reversal today, and obviously a lot of this is just intro to this podcast and into, into you and what people can expect and um, to hear your heart. But a question I would have is, if you could identify one thing you've done in the community that you've lived for 25 years to really keep outreach on the front of your mind, and uh, what would you say that is? If there was one thing that I remember us trying to do would be to try to know their names and pray for them all the time, and then just try to intersect with their life best we could. And I wish we'd have done that better, to be frank with you. I think sometimes we intersected when it was convenient, and we didn't intersect intentionally. That wasn't our heartbeat. Um, but anyway, so we were involved in the city sports. You guys like to do that. That's what worked out for us. Now I think uh, intersecting with guys that, you know, maybe they run a restaurant or maybe they work at a local business. So trying to frequent those places a lot. When I teach on evangelism, I talk about uh, frequency being a key principle. Intentionality is one in frequency. And so repeat visits to places, getting to know people. Uh, and then being available for crises moments. So what we found a lot of times with when you guys were all home was when you would get a certain ages at older, the other kids would as well. And then those parents would begin to have real issues. They knew what we did. A lot of times they would call us, even though they really weren't part of our, weren't part of our church. And being available for those crises moments was a, was a win. But I think it gave us a good opportunity to sow seeds. So to answer your question, uh, committed to prayer, knowing their names. And then um, intersecting with them in places in the city. And again, I just got to repeat this. I, you know, you can't go back and redo stuff. That's unfortunate. But I wish we would have done a, wish we'd have been a little more intentional. I really do. In a a role for someone who deals with more, quote unquote, missionaries than a normal person. Nova's more part of the reason that you get to do this podcast is mm-hmm. you know, in your role as a pastor, you have so much more connections with people who are on the field than, you know, me or anyone else who's just working a normal job. Uh, For someone who's hearing this podcast and they're hearing the stories, what can they do? Obviously, you know, obviously everyone's thinking, well, you know, uh, you can send money to anyone, but what are ways that regular people can support or partner with missionaries, whether they're on this podcast or whether Mm -hmm. they know them separately? That's practical. That's not necessarily just sending their cash. Yeah, so let me say two things, but it's one sentence. Get small and get big. Here's what I mean by that. Pick one or two that your church supports and just get to know them by name. You may can pick more, but let's just say you pick two. Know them by name, whether their kids' names, if they have them. Uh, Teach them to your family or you and your spouse. Just know them, so know their names. And then when I say get big, what I mean is continue to contribute to something larger than just those two. So like we say this at our church, Give to and through your local church. So here at First Family, we partner with the Southern Baptist Convention. So because of that, when someone gives, they not only support specific partners here out of our 12, but some of their offering goes to help uh, 
over 3,000 missionaries with the International Mission Board. Like, that's a win. And some folks look at that as a, as a loss. Like, well, I don't know who they are. Well, that's almost selfish to think that you have to know everyone that you help. I mean, it's a win when you, even a dollar of what you're giving can help 3,000 missionaries, many of them in unreached areas with very little access. Like, that's a win. So I say, get small. Pick a couple that you can know from your church and then be willing to give to places where you don't know them, but it's not about you knowing them. It's about the job getting done. So get small and get big, and that's the way I believe families can have a both-and attitude toward the Great Commission, where it says we're to be witnesses in Judea, Samaria, the other most parts of the earth. You know, you want to be able to say, I'm investing in what's close to me. I know them, and I'm investing in places where I have no clue, but, man, I'm trusting that it's going well and reaching places I'll never, ever see or get to. I want to have a hand in both of those. Yeah. You mentioned in the beginning of this show, kind of the environment you grew up in, a real environment of fervency. What does that look like? Is, you, know, you, you had mentioned you know, 400 missionaries, but all at a lower level. From your perspective growing up in that, what were you seeing that communicated to you mm. that it was a fervent environment? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, may be, I think this is probably a core thing that drives me is I think seeds are planted when you're a child when you're a teenager, when you're a young college student, that sprout through the rest of your life. And so who plants those seeds, how they're planted, and that really matters. So here's an example. Uh, as a fourth, fifth grader, sixth grader, maybe I should say it's a fifth and sixth, seventh grader, but early junior higher, every Saturday morning, they would call the teenagers together, and we'd go out in the, in the city, and we'd knock on doors, pass out tracks, we'd go downtown on the sidewalks. And in the moment, you're thinking, like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. You don't want to do it. You go anyway because maybe someone you like is there. Your friends are there. Uh, who knows really why you go at that age. And, again, it was a large church. Um, it was mobilized well for outreach. And so the teenagers would do that every Saturday morning. So I went. Uh, we'd go to the projects in Chattanooga. Um, and I think some of those things probably weren't the healthiest environments. I'll be honest with you. Some of those reasons we invited folks to church we probably had ulterior reasons. <laughs> I look back like, man, we needed some help. As I got older, we, we were in services. We had Sunday morning service, Sunday night service, Wednesday night service. But in every service, you, you would know this. They're going to give the gospel clearly. They're going to give an opportunity for folks to be saved. And so I was just surrounded. I call it a greenhouse. I was surrounded with this environment that it matters that people get saved. In the moment, I probably thought, man, this is driving me crazy. And I think at times I was even critical that they're not helping us grow. We should go deeper. And you've heard that before in different environments. But now that I'm older, looking back at that, it's, it's those seeds that I think God has used to keep my heart tender toward people who don't know him. And I'm very thankful for an environment where we didn't lose sight of why Jesus came, to save his people from their sins. And, uh, you know, they just— it's a very stirring, it's, it's a constant stirring memory to me. And I'm thankful for parents who knew what kind of church to look to and, and, and dove into that church head first. Uh, they required that I go to those things. I didn't get an option. And so, I, yeah, my heart beats for God's mission, for his passion to see people come into his family from every nation, language, tribe. And I think a lot of that began when I was a kid. So if we could just motivate and mobilize our listeners, get in environments where it's not about you and your comfort, 
but it's about seeing the mission of God advance. It may cost you. It may be uncomfortable. You may be criticized. You may think it's weird. But the end result of that for your children and for those who are in your house that are younger is inexpressible and invaluable. Yeah. The more I think about it, I think like this is a 21st century way of what people have been trying to do for years. You know, have a missionary come speak, have a missions conference. Hmm. Like this podcast is a missions conference. That's a good way to put it. Or it's just week after week of stories to move people, to have their hearts stirred to do something. Amen. Whether that's to pray for somebody or to go somewhere or to give to somebody, that's the whole goal of a missions conference is Mm -hmm. to move people in the church to take action for missions, and that's what this podcast is. Yeah, it's just a digital missions conference. Yeah, it's taking those stories and mobilizing the stories. Hmm. Rather than trying to get the people to be mobilized to the event, let's mobilize the event to the people. All right, well, thanks for letting us switch roles today. You are welcome. We'll uh, be excited to listen to the rest of season one. Yeah. See you, everybody else, on episode one. Thanks for listening to the Neighbors and Nations podcast. To learn more about how to support this podcast and our partners, go to toddstyles.net slash podcast. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe in your favorite podcasting app.